Thank you for taking time from your busy schedules to listen to Life Versus Work here on localjobnetwork.com radio. I'm your host, Tim Muma. Here on Life Versus Work, we look to examine the effects of life on work and vice versa. Like it or not, more than ever, the two are intertwined. Today we're touching on the human side of work and performance, not skills or numbers, but the mental aspect. Specifically, our discussion will be centered on self-doubt. To help us break down this particular topic, psychologist Dr. Leslie Becker-Phelps is joining us from New Jersey today. Leslie, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated. And before we sort of dive into the topic, to give the listeners an idea of where you're coming from, you just briefly discuss your experiences regarding this subject or pretty much, you know, covering this area as a whole. This is a pretty broad area, and it's something that everyone experiences. We experience self-doubt in our personal lives as well as, um, as, well as at work. And that's obviously where we want to jump into specifically and talk about how this affects people at work. But in general terms, how would you define self-doubt? And specifically, what sort of things are we looking at in terms of, of what it is and what it might look like, that sort of thing? You know, that's a really um, interesting question because I think it's, in my mind, it has a couple different layers. There's what we might call situational self-doubt. You're unsure whether you can you know, um, perform a particular task at work or, um, you know, do something. And so that's one kind mm -hmm. of self-doubt. But then there's a deeper level of self-doubt where people really question themselves as a person and their sense of worth. So you may um, experience self-doubt about whether you're just a competent worker as opposed to the particular sure. task. So then when, when you're talking about this idea of self-doubt, I mean, is this a natural part of everybody's development, so to speak, it's something that at some point everyone deals with. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned the specific times, like maybe performing a task or whatnot. Is that more natural than maybe this grand scheme of who, who I am as a person or overall as a worker? I, mean, I guess what's, what part does it play in all of our lives, really? Well, doubting your abilities in certain areas is something that we all feel at some point. And, um, you know, if you're going to explore in the world, do anything new, it's going to have to be part of that because you're going into the unknown. And that's not necessarily, you know, a bad thing. But the other kind of self-doubt where you question yourself as a whole person, whether you're capable or lovable or some broad kind of way like that, there are some people who really struggle much more with that than others. And that can be, uh, that could be a very damaging kind of self-doubt. Well, and you kind of brought that up. Are there particular reasons one person may struggle much more with this idea of, of doubting themselves versus another where, you know, some people just have that, that confidence and it seems like they're barely affected by this? I mean, are there particular reasons you can point to why there's that, that big difference? Sure, sure. There are, there are some very good reasons. Um, first of all, we're all born into the world with different temperaments. Some, some people are just naturally a little bit more resilient um, or more, you know, some people are more sensitive to their environments. But at some point, if somebody really struggles um, very deeply with self-doubt, they've learned to question themselves. Hmm. And the deeper it goes, the more likely it was foundational at a younger age, you know, so they got a lot of feedback on some level that they lack value. In terms of this idea of, you know, people struggling in some areas, and you talked about, you know, possibly if, if it's more at the core, it's deeper uh, in terms of learning at a younger age and value. I guess when that occurs, is that something that, I don't know, in general translates across all areas of someone's lives? Or does it tend to be specific to, uh, you know, maybe certain situations because of, you know, what a parent said or a friend said? I mean, how do you, how do you evaluate where that falls in in terms of broad scope? The, the idea of self-doubt. 
I think it differs. Some, for some people, you see it more in certain areas, so maybe more at work or more socially versus the other areas. Sometimes it, it is a broader swath, and it could be you know, across a whole life. Depends on their experiences and how they've, how they've perceived them. So then when we're looking at the idea of, of work, you know, obviously our shows are geared towards what happens in the workplace. And sure. when we talk about this idea of self-doubt, do you see that as being a prevalent issue or something you've come across just in terms of maybe struggling to, to find that value in, in the workplace and, and where people belong? Absolutely. And, you know, again, it's on those two different levels. Um, I can't imagine a work situation where there is no self-doubt. I mean, in a good work situation. I mean, mm-hmm. you would want to be in a place where people want to grow and develop and come up with new things and break new ground. Well, that's going to require some self-doubt, but hopefully more out of kind of a, a curiosity and a yearning rather than a being defensive and needing to shut down. Sure. And that can come from both the individual as well as the environment. So if, if you have a work atmosphere that's very supportive and encouraging, you're probably more likely to see kind of a healthier kind of self-doubt, positive interactions around mm-hmm. it. Whereas one where it's a more punitive environment, that could be really harmful. Since you brought up the idea, I think that's important. In terms of this, you know, a lot of that we talk about self-doubt, so you think it's all this self-awareness kind of idea and how, how you as an individual feel. What role do the employers play, do coworkers play in terms of either perpetuating this idea of doubt and maybe you know a lack of value or getting someone out of that idea or encouraging them? I mean, how big of a role is it that other people actually play when we're talking about our own self-doubt? It's a very big role. I mean, you know, we're social beings. People mm-hmm. are social beings. So certainly we all come in with our own biases and our, you know, some people have stronger self-esteem or less strong self-esteem, but however it is you come into the work environment, there you are in that environment and that can help you feel better or worse. I mean, if you walk in the door and somebody smiles and say, Hey, good morning, you feel good. If somebody kind of looks sternly at you, say, you know, and maybe they don't even say good morning, they kind of grunt at you, you know, you might tense up. You might say, gosh, did I do something? It's going to instill self-doubt. Are there any signs that people should look for in terms of, I mean, whether it's, again, when you're looking at yourself or maybe you notice actions or, or, or you know, the way people talk in terms of, hey, maybe you're doubting yourself or maybe this is a bigger issue. I mean, are there things you can look for physically or in performance, that sort of thing? You know, people who doubt themselves, I think they know that they're doubting themselves. They're afraid of doing the wrong thing. They really struggle with this stuff. Um, so it's something that they can feel inside. There are some people, I have to say, that um, that feels intolerable, so they'll kind of puff themselves up, and I'm sure you've seen people who, it's almost like too good to be true, they just feel, they just seem like they have so much self-esteem, but it seems so fragile, like they have to be the best at everything or something, and they may be, you know, less aware of their self-doubt. Part of the reason we came to you with this is, uh, you know, we had I'd seen some things you had mentioned in terms of the idea of self-doubt and maybe some of the specific ways in which people sort of sustain this lack of self-confidence, that sort of thing. Uh, one, the one area, firstly, that uh, you mentioned was this idea of selective attention. When we're talking about that, I mean, guess how does that look? How does that sound in terms of perpetuating that self-doubt? Really, the idea of selective attention is based in, in a broader idea that we all have a bias. We, we go through our days with a um, particular lens on because we can't figure out the world. We can't wake up every day and figure out the world from like a blank slate. So we have expectations of ourselves, of our environment, 
of other people. And so if one of the expectations you develop, which we talked about before, is a sense of low self-confidence or um, self-doubt, that maybe you're not so competent, then that will affect, that will bias your perceptions. And so one part of that is you have selective attention. You're going to notice uh, situations or interactions that show that you're not that competent, that mm -hmm. reinforce that bias you have. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. And, and an aspect, I mean, it sort of you know, parlays into that, that I believe you mentioned, I've seen some other areas, is this idea that people with selective attention, so to speak, or, or this idea is that they'll downplay the things that they do do and their accomplishments or achievements, that sort of thing. And the one thing I thought of is I know plenty of people who maybe they do accomplish something and, and they downplay it in a way that they're trying to be humble. They don't want to, they don't want to puff out their chest, that sort of thing. Is that, is that real? Do you think that's a real humility or is that just a part of the selective attention and they're really still instilling self-doubt in themselves? You know, it could be absolutely be self-doubt. It could be that they're just trying to appear humble mm -hmm. or it could be that they truly are, you know, approach things in a humble way. For some people it really is about a value that you don't boast or um, speak so high, you know, positively of yourself. Um, so you want to downplay how wonderful something is that you did. And you may truly feel it from your heart, or it may just be something that you want to, you wish you could feel, so you talk that way. Right. Are there any tips then for people who, you know, try to counteract this idea of selective attention? Because, you know, for people listening who may think, oh, yeah, I do kind of do that. And, and maybe it does affect me in some way. I mean, is, is there some sort of, of way to avoid that or at least limit the effects? Um, absolutely. Um, it, but I have to say that um, counteracting your bias is hard. It's doable, mm -hmm. but it's hard because it's how you see the world. It's like, you know, they talk about, you know, fish and water. They don't notice the good place to start. If you're feeling uncomfortable, if you're feeling unhappy, you want to pay attention to it. You say, gosh, there's an awful lot of times when I'm feeling like, I'm not doing a good job or I'm always worrying about people. Then you can say, hmm, I wonder if that's a bias. Hmm. Then what you want to do is you want to look for the bias. So maybe at the end of every day you sit down with a journal and you maybe write down what are good things that have happened. What are good things that you did and see if you can come up with them or if seem, you seem to be kind of blocked in that way. Hmm. So that's, you know, then you want to, you know, develop that. The other thing you can do, which is, is very helpful, is... Talk with someone who you really trust, and this is where therapy comes into play, but it could just be, you know, <laughs> a good friend or a partner where you say, you know what, I realize that I tend to be really negative on myself. And believe me, if you're negative on yourself, they're seeing it too. Right. And I want help working on this. Can you help me recognize when I'm doing this selective attention thing, when I'm, when I'm overlooking the good stuff or maybe taking a small bad thing and making it bigger? Can you, can you help me see that? And so you can work on it within yourself as well as work on it, you know, in interaction with, with someone. And it has to be somebody you really trust and feel comfortable with and safe with. Along those same lines, and you mentioned the idea of keeping a diary and writing things down, uh, you know, another side of this is the idea, again, of selective, but in this case, selective memory. Is there something specific when you're thinking about work, performance? I mean, are there certain memories that you're talking about here where you ignore them or you just you literally they're out of sight out of mind sort of thing i mean how does how does this work in terms of creating self-doubt and and really affecting somebody moving forward at work mm -hmm. well you know it's it's part of this um triad and I, I that i had written about there's this triad of selective attention selective memory selective interpretation right. the last of which we'll get to and 
if you attend to something more, you're going to remember it more. So um, you go into your evaluation by your boss, and your boss says, you know, you've done a really good job in these different aspects of your job, um, wonderful performance, but you need to work on how you interact with others, or you need to work on your whatever skills. You leave. That night, when you're thinking back, you may find that the only thing you really are remembering are how is how horrible you are at such and such a skill mm. and what your boss must think of you, how your boss must think that, you know, you're this terrible worker. And so it's not that the memory isn't there. You're just not activating it. You're not going to it. And that's the selective memory piece. So you take the selective attention, you know, you, you choosing to look to things that pull down your self-esteem or increase self-doubt. And then you're choosing and this is often unconsciously, but you, you're right. getting pulled to remembering those things, all of which just reinforces, I knew that I'm not capable. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. <laughs> and look, look, I have all this proof. And you use that selective attention and selective memory to just kind of prove to yourself, to kind of self-verify what it is you already knew. And since you kind of went there, this idea of, you know, you, you're almost proving to yourself that, look, this is this is the way I am or this is what it is. Is there something, I mean, that you come across professionally or, or a way you could describe like, why would, I mean, as we say, you're talking about it, why would somebody want to prove that they're incapable of doing something or, or to prove that they're uh, lacking in some way? I mean, is there, again, I know there's a lot of deep-rooted things that can go into this and it's specific to, you know, individual people, but I mean, is there a, a general way to describe why this happens or, or, or a, a possible motivating factor to it you know as i said as i mentioned to you and some of the notes i sent you with selective memory maybe somebody uses it as motivation as in well i need to do better next time because all they remember is their boss you know the negative side of it i mean is there any way to describe this kind of almost a negative phenomena yeah there is um you know nobody wants to feel bad nobody wakes up in the morning and says gosh i really wish i had low self-esteem let me see if i can go about doing that for myself <laughs> you, you, you don't Everybody, we all, we just want to feel safe and secure and happy and good and competent. We want to feel those things. Hmm. But if for whatever your experiences have been, have taught you that you're not those things and you can't get those things, you don't want to feel hurt and humiliated and just generally miserable as you try to go after something you can't have. You don't want to, you feel vulnerable. You don't want to feel vulnerable. So what do we do to not feel vulnerable? We try to protect ourselves. And so we, that now kind of, um, the way we see the world gets coalesced around this idea of, okay, I'm not this competent person. And so what I do is going to be, I need to protect myself. So mm -hmm. I need to say, be quiet. I need to not reveal anything because I'm going to show that I'm not competent. And so you get invested in this way of seeing the world. And you lose sight of other options or that there's the possibility that maybe that was an incorrect perception to begin with, that you really do have value. But if that's not an option, then you don't even look for that anymore because it's just going to lead to getting hurt. You mentioned, you know, getting to this, uh, the last part, the third part of, of the uh, ideas you talked about in selective interpretation. I thought this was interesting and uh, something that obviously is a factor just in our everyday lives, but also at work. And, and obviously that's where we're focused on. When you're talking about interpretation and maybe interpreting what people say or do, how does that look in the workplace? I mean, I guess I would think it's a lot to do with feedback and, and what you get from people. Um, but how is this different maybe than memory and attention and the idea of an interpreting uh, what people say and do, that sort of thing? It really works. Um, they really, all three of them work together. Sure. So if you have, they're all part of this big bias. So you have this bias 
and you're going to attend to things that show that what it is you already know that you that you're not competent and you're going to remember those things and also you're going to interpret things in that way so that um again your boss says to you gosh there's some there's some corrections I want to go over on this project with you you know some changes I want to go over you may then hear that as, oh, geez, he thinks I did a miserable job. Huh. That's your interpretation. Right. You were feeling stronger about yourself and your abilities. You might think like, oh, okay, well, you know, what changes, you know, what tweaks do we have to make? Which is very different than I'm not competent. Right. Really at the base of this is a lack of um, self-acceptance to some degree. You know, feeling okay with who you are or what your abilities are. Mm-hmm. And that's the struggle. You know, especially now, it- course the economy is not great and people do worry about their jobs because uh you know there are plenty of unemployed out there but people who are even in their in their current positions there may be a little of this paranoia that uh plays a role that oh, if my manager doesn't like something i did i'm gonna get fired and um this sort of cycle that that sort of thing i mean do you see this as a, a concern that maybe is in the workplace right now and in, in terms of and you talk about the interpretation part the memory and the attention that um you know maybe people are looking at this in a very negative light now compared to maybe 20 years ago, just because of the broad spectrum of, of what's going on with the economy and, and with jobs, that sort of thing? Um, I can't really speak to now versus 20 years ago, but you know, again, if we go back and um, we look at the environment plays a part. You know, Our environment affects how we feel and think about things. So if everybody's walking around tense because there have been layoffs, uh-huh. you're going to be a little tense about layoffs. And you're going to worry about the possibility of losing your job. And, and that's real, you know, that could be realistic. It's not very um, healthy for you as an individual or for a company. But that, you know, there may be very, some very real concerns. The thing is, is that having the concerns, having those worries and waking up, especially if it turns into kind of a gnawing anxiety, doesn't help anything. Mm-hmm. And always questioning yourself and doubting yourself and thinking, oh, gosh, maybe I should have done better. It's only going to make you sick. <laughs> psychologically and then possibly physically, if you really are somebody who has been, you know, working hard, it's not going to make your performance better. What you want to do if you're struggling with your job or if you're unemployed, you know, and you're really worried about getting a job, it's good to help your motivation, to help yourself feel better, right? So you can feel competent, so that you can look self-assured, be self-assured, be more employable. That won't prom- that won't promise you a job, but it it makes things better. And so you want to do what you can to feel good about yourself. And that means not just with work, but in, in your life, within the context of your life, finding things that make you feel good, having things that make you feel good, an active part of your life, because that nurtures you, you know, as a whole person. Yeah. And if there are doubts you have in your abilities, well, if you can see those doubts within a bigger context of, you know what, I have all these good things in my life, and gosh, I would like to grow here too then you can approach those changes or those developments in a more positive way. And you'll feel that from the inside and you will exude that out to others. When we look at this then from the you know, employee's perspective, um, you know, obviously they're going to have managers and people that they're uh, you know, the leaders of groups and departments, that sort of thing. If you are a manager, is there a way to recognize these things in your employees or also even more importantly to to help in some way or to to make sure that they're not you know having this sort of selective memory and interpretation of of really just of negativity i mean do you have advice for for someone in a you know a leadership role a head of a department a, a manager to 
recognize any issues that, that, that may be arising and, and also that help? You know, one of the um, important, really important roles of um, a manager or upper, upper echelon is um, to set a good environment, a good culture, a, a culture of one where people feel safe, they feel valued. You know, you're looking for their strengths. You're saying, gosh, look, here are these strengths that you have. Let's match these strengths up with these jobs. You want to you build on people's strengths. And if there, are, um, if there are changes someone needs to make, if there's growth that they need to have, to couch that within the context of this person's strengths. The bottom line is what we know is that people who feel good about themselves and feel good about their work approach work more positively or more productive. Mm -hmm. So that's what somebody who's you know, a manager or supervisor can do is to help a person by putting them in good positions, by noticing the good that they do, by helping the person notice the good that they do. And we are getting a little low on time, so I just wanted to sort of in a, in a broad scope, you know, this idea of self-doubt, uh, you know, to me seems like there's this cycle that would be tough to break overall, when you're, especially at work when you're talking about performance and you know, being evaluated, that sort of thing. For those people that are currently employed, is there a particular mindset they can take to, to really instill more of a, a positive, confident type attitude and, and really avoid those those ways of self-doubt. I know, again, you've, you've touched on a little bit of those things as we've gone along the conversation, but I mean, is there an overall sort of tip or, or piece of advice you can give to, to help or at least push them in that right direction? You're talking about people who are employed or not? Currently employed, yes. As I said, I think it's all based, eventually based on, or fundamentally based on self-acceptance and feeling good about yourself as a person. And so... You want to have balance in your life. You want to have things outside of work where you feel good. And you want it to come down to feeling like you, has, you have value as a human being. It's not, your value isn't based on the last thing you did at work. Uh -huh. You're more than that. And once you can feel like you have value as a person on this earth, then you want to be doing better. You want to be trying your hardest and going after things because it feels good. And if you're doubting something, it's okay. It's okay that you didn't, you made a mistake here or there. It may not feel good, but it's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't strike like a mortal blow. And so then you can, it, it changes your approach. You can feel okay about, gosh, you know, I messed up here or I don't know about, you know, I don't know about this or that. Let me learn. And so you approach those struggles in a positive way with curiosity as a growth opportunity. And that's where you know, you win. You, you, you can't help but win if, if you can approach it in that way. But that means feeling okay about yourself, whatever the last particular performance was. Using that point, you talked about that your value isn't just at work. Uh, in terms of, you know, thinking back to, you mentioned there are people, lots of people that are unemployed and may have been that way for a while now. And yeah, I think it's natural that the, the confidence goes down and particularly thinking value as a worker. I mean, so then is it really, I mean, is that what somebody who's unemployed should be focusing on is value outside of work because they don't have that. They don't, they can't go into work every day and, and maybe pick themselves up, so to speak. I mean, is there a different sort of way of handling um, self-doubt when you're in a, a position where you've been unemployed for a long period of time? You know, there may be a shift in some emphasis, but it's essentially the same thing in that if you're unemployed, you have a job. Your job is to find a job. <laughs> True. And so, you know, you, you need to have balance. You need to give a lot of focus to finding that job and seeing what you need to do and going forward. But it can't be everything. 
Well, with that, we will wrap things up here on Life versus Work and our conversation regarding self-doubt, particularly its effects at work and in our lives as well, of course. Our expert guest has been psychologist Dr. Leslie Becker-Phelps. Leslie, where can people learn more about you and your work? Uh, I'm at www.drbeckerphelps.com. That's uh, Becker Phelps with a hyphen. All right, great. Seems pretty simple for the most part finding people nowadays. Uh, Thanks again for joining us and uh, really sharing your experience and knowledge on this subject. And for those listening, feel free to send us an email at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com with any comments or suggestions. For everyone here at localjobnetwork.com radio, I'm Tim Muma. Take care. Take care.